Hi, I'm Valerie. And I'm Imra. And we are two Two African Americans. Welcome to Two African Americans, a place for courageous conversations that heal. Today, our hosts, Valerie Grimes and Emra Smith, talk about privilege, some cultural and political sources of privilege, and how we may differ in the ways we view our nation's history, our founding fathers, our constitution, and even public monuments, depending on whether or not we are part of a privileged group. Let's listen in now as Emra kicks off episode four, Unpacking Privilege. Let's talk a little today about privilege. And we've been bantering a little bit about it, and we're definitely going to speak about white privilege. But as we we thought about this concept, there's so many privileges. What what does it mean to be privileged? Well, Emra, according to Merriam-Webster, privilege is a right or an immunity granted as a particular benefit, advantage, or a favor. It's to place higher value or a superior position on a particular thing or person. So if we think of privilege, we can, as we were just talking, think of who'd have known that they've proved that being tall is a privilege, mm-hmm. that that tall people may get the job over a short person. Mm-hmm. We know um, just in discussing this today that there is also a privilege to being thin, you know, that, that culturally acceptable physique is thinner. So there's that. There's that privilege as well. The question then led to who decides who gets the privilege or who has the uh, immunity or the rights granted to them. And I think we kind of came to the conclusion that it is um, the majority culture that decides. It just depends on what country you're in, what that majority culture is. But the majority culture says what is acceptable, what is beautiful, what is more desirable. You think of fashion trends, as you said, whether skinny is, I think of the years of Twiggy, that that suddenly changed how everybody should look. Or what was it in Friends with Jennifer Aniston and her hairdo and, and suddenly everybody had to have that hairdo. What is it about humans that follow? Mm. <laughs> wow. I, I think, too, if you start looking at the religious connotation behind it, you know, I am a pastor, mm. so somehow I get back there. I mean, the Lord says that he puts the lonely in families. And so it's human nature to desire to be a part of to be liked and to belong. 
And um, I think it's Robert Burke. I'm sorry, Edmund Burke, who says the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is that good men do nothing. And so if you can convince people that you want to be a part of this group, because this is the cool group, the end group, this is the group that is going to get the most benefit, then the good people who see it happening, if they don't say something, if they don't stand up, then evil triumphs. And that's where all of that privilege leads to really and truly is an evil place because you begin to exclude anyone mm. that does not fit your mold. And, and oh, that is like an exclamation. That's like a highlight. If we had to each look at our own lives, mm-hmm. where do I fit in my comfortable place, as we spoke last time, that is acquiescing to my surroundings because it's just comfortable for me, mm-hmm. that I don't want to shift. So I can't help thinking, and I think it's so foremost for me, that we just watched King Charles being crowned mm-hmm. and, and looking at the history of nations and nations that went and created nations throughout the world. And I love this, pulled this up on the Darling Wikipedia. White privilege or white skin privilege is the societal privilege that benefits white people over non-white people in some societies, particularly if they otherwise under the same social, political, and economic circumstances. Its roots are in European colonialism and imperialism, and the Atlantic slave trade white privilege has developed in circumstances that have broadly sought to protect those white privileges. So for me, it's what I was born in. It's what I was raised in. You, you don't grow up being taught that you are privileged. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel privileged because we weren't super wealthy. Mm-hmm. I had super wealthy girlfriends. Mm-hmm. So I always felt like, whoa, look what they have and look who we are and can I invite them home? And so I never felt privileged. And then coming to becoming a citizen and becoming an African-American had still no clue that I'm still privileged Mm -hmm. because the first work that I had, I was told I'm being taken advantage of because I'm an outsider. And I had to suck it up. I was just so thankful. Mm -hmm. So I can patiently wait on finding my worth and my place, but How would it have been if I wasn't a white girl? Exactly what I was going to ask you next. (laughs) Um, I think I mentioned it um, before, but there have been opportunities or situations, I should say, that I have come into as a, a registered nurse and I've walked into a new unit. And immediately, though I'm dressed in the nurse's uniform, um, though I am... um, you know, looking for a particular person, I will always say, hey, my name is Valerie and I'm looking for 
I am. It's always and I will tell you that in almost 30 years of nursing, it has always happened. I can't think of one time that it has not happened that I have been asked if I was the new CNA. And now there's nothing wrong with being a CNA because I have been a CNA and I advocate for CNAs. And um, so there, there's no issue there. But I have also started at the same time as a white CNA. And they were the ones that were addressed as the nurse. And then it was like, no, no, no. They had to correct and say, no, I'm, I'm the new CNA or I'm the new tech. And so there is a perception of privilege um, when you present in a particular skin color. Uh, and and it's, it's just the truth of the matter. Now, we within, like you said, our talents, our gifts, those things that we know how to do and how to present ourselves and, you know, be the best of ourselves. Um, but there is a privilege to showing up in a particular package. We've talked about that package could be tall. It could be skinny. But definitely there is a privilege to showing up in white skin. And I think it, it's not even a thing to debate. I think it's, it's a fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, history has shown us that mm-hmm. uh, from the British rule that went to all the different nations mm-hmm. from our country. Uh, the war that we had in this country to get free from British rule and just be Americans. That there's, there's no debating about that. But what I think we need to be conscious of today is not walking in those same footsteps. Why do we need to have white privilege now when our constitution and our country is set up to not have that. What can we do to prevent it from continuing? First off, our constitution is really not set up to not have white privilege. Um, It is very much a document that says it's for all the people. However, when we look at when that document was written and the people that it was written for, the people that look like me were not at the table. They were not included in the conversation and in essence, in order to reach an agreement so that all signatures could be received. When they looked at representation, they were like, because the South was so heavy with slaves at that time, they said, we will, we will you know, at first it was like, do we count the Negro at all? And then it was, uh, yeah, we'll count him, but we'll count him as three fifths of a person. And so that document was not written with my freedom in mind. It was not written for 2023 when I literally could be whatever I want to be. And so because it was not written with that in mind, we are still facing some of the institutional um, racism, regardless of what anyone wants to say, it still exists because that document was never written with me in mind. And so now 
as I as I, I stand and and move in this world today, I have to be very cognizant of that. Now I can still challenge it. That's the good thing about today is that I can challenge those things that are not uh, institutionally on my behalf. Whereas then my great, great, great grandmother could not have challenged any of that. She had to accept every bit of that. So that's the difference today. Not that the document was written for people who look like me, but that the people who look like me can challenge it today. Well, I wish I had the document in front of me now. It would be foolish for us to go on sentences here without the document in front of us. But when I all I think of is we the people, even though that person wasn't, they wasn't a Japanese, they wasn't a Hispanic, they, they wasn't who the country is today. But doesn't don't the words have the same impact and meaning for everybody, even if they weren't at the table? My generation of people, even if they were born here, weren't at that table. There was only the few then, but did did God not help set up something then that differentiated it from what British rule was and create a country that in the many generations to come would have freedom? So would you say then, does each generation then have to do a new document because they weren't there? Help me understand that. No, they. I mean, the document was set up so that we could amend it. And there are amendments. There's an amendment that abolishes slavery. Okay. Yes. There are, so it can be amended. The foundation of that document gives us the, the foresight to know, like you said, we the people in order to form a more perfect union. They want the, 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 the foundation of it sounds like, hey, it's everybody. But the truth is it wasn't. And so everything, every new part or new piece has to be fought for. It has to be amended. It has to be added to. And we can't say that the original document had me in mind. It didn't. And I mean, we can say that the words, you know, are, are sound as if they do, but they don't. Even the Bill of Rights, you know, it, it talks about the fact that all men are created equal. When the people who were actually saying it, Thomas Jefferson, who penned the words of the Bill of Rights, had slaves living in his home and was taking advantage of a slave on a regular basis and has many children by her that even today they are just starting to um, to bring that family together. The white side of the family and the black side of that family are coming together. But that man is the one who said all men are created equal. Yet in his heart, that was not the truth for him. Well, in those days, people didn't know better. Over many generations, thank God, we're learning to know better. You don't think they knew better? If that was all, as we said, the current society, the current always impacts what what is. So if if all they knew in this country was white privilege, imperialism, bringing slaves, which the whole of that part of the world was involved in this is what people knew and it's appalling that they could think and feel that way about another human being 
But I guess I, I'm just pondering, I'm not discrediting a thing, I'm just asking questions, that this was one of the first countries to truly have a vision of freedom. And I have to believe that God planted that, it was built on him. Would he have put words down that they did not understand, that they did not live, that in our generation we're getting to see what God's intention was? And I, now, God's intention has always been to honor the Imago Dei in every man and woman, because he says clearly we are created in his image. However, man's intention was not. And um, there is no way that I could believe that Thomas Jefferson, at the moment of saying, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal for him to have a black man in mind when he mentioned, when he penned those words, this is just not because of the, the treatment that continued at his hand and at the hands of the rulers of this country or the leaders of this country. There's a thing called cognitive dissonance where you have to pretty much, you know, something is right but you're hearing that it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't fit into the the pattern or the the uh, the way things are done. And so you have to convince yourself that, you know, th this wrong way is really the right way. You know, my, my way of thinking, there's something wrong with it. It's a state. It actually says it's a state of having inconsistent thoughts and beliefs and attitudes because yeah, he may have been standing there saying all men are created equal, but he was saying all men that look like me. Because so what, what are you saying? Is, is that why um, African-Americans in, in America don't want to have any symbol of those evil men how and when does that ever stop? I think of if South Africa, we had Shaka Zulu, the Zulu king. We had the, the Kozas, two Africans, that tribes that, that hated one another. Eventually, in, in the, the, the craziness of, of all that passed in the generations, and finally, a person of a different color skin was to rule. The war between those two tribes to rule when Mandela got free was ferocious. Mm -hmm. So Mandela becomes this incredible man that, that brings a country that is so diverse together. But there's no thought of not having Shaka Zulu's image somewhere because he's part of the history. Mm -hmm. How do we put then together the pieces that are our story, mm -hmm. despicable as some of them are, mm -hmm. and not break down the parts of the story, but keep adding the new parts of the story. Mm -hmm. Is there value in that? Or is the pain threshold when release finally comes so high that there's a tearing down entirely of history? one section of history to bring in only a new section of history. No, I mean, history is what it is. Mm -hmm. You cannot 
erase it. You can't change it because it is what it is. And I think that we have to honor it as it is and not try to paint any particular people group as the heroes of the story because history is just what it is. We have to realize too, and I, 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 I'm not sure if this is where you were going, but there has been a really big debate about monuments here in Mm. the United States. And we have to remember when a lot of those monuments were erected and the purpose for which they were erected. They were not erected for the remembrance of history. They were erected to bring fear into people who were fighting for their rights in this country. And they were erected in places of power in front of federal buildings. They were erected in national parks where people wanted to come together with their families. So places of power and places of um, where you would expect families to have joy Those are the places that those monuments were erected and they were erected to people who had decimated black people and white people in the name of Indian. Yes. And yes, indigenous, indigenous people. Oh, my God. That's a whole other story there about how they were treated. There is a doctrine. It's called a doctrine of discovery Mm. that the church supported. And it says that anywhere they went, they could civilize the people, take their land, and they could become the leaders and rulers in that place. The doctrine of discovery was supported by the church. I know. The more I learn about that, and and one of my hope walks I did from uh, San Francisco to L.A., to all those churches on that trail and reading about what happened, I I just I wanted to throw up, and actually thinking of some of the movies we see now that that show the history of of this country and the indigenous people and how they were decultured yes. in the most horrific ways yes. what they did to the children the it schools, makes you sick yes. to the stomach mm-hmm. and that was in the name of god mm. it 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 just it it makes you so oh makes me just curl <laughs> with ugly inside so i'm i'm thinking it, it is a very different way to look at i i had not thought of that they were erected in places to bring fear. Yes. And part of me, and I love what you said, the the dissonance, part of me wants to go, nah, no, not, no, you're off the beat here. You're highly sensitive. This is, well, and I have to accept that 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 is a person of color who has such sensitivity to it. But if I really put myself in your shoes and I, I think of going to a public um, place and all I see is those, and I see a very specific one which is absolutely stunning. I love the art of it. I'm an mm-hmm. artist. The carving of the rock and all those faces, and mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. I don't see who's there. I see what's done. Mm-hmm. But what if you had to stand next to me and I'm in awe at the art, and you're dying and you want to turn your back on mm-hmm. it? And I would, um, I, I, I feel that with you now. Mm-hmm. What do we do to the art? Can we go and carve in other faces? 
that show other heroes or will and it brings me back to our whole concept of that humanity is always looking for a hero yes what that we're <laughs> always looking and and don't we just miss the mark woo yes we do uh, because you're right if i go to a place a courthouse that generally has um, the place at, for, for people to vote, if you think about it. And Robert E. Lee is erected tall and on his horse in front of that place where I know just generations before, and this is where, where they were put there for, where my great-grandfather wanted to go in to vote and he comes and he sees a group of white men that said, you know, you can't even come in. And then they point to this Robert E. Lee that it was for fear. It was for torment. And so now you say, well, what do we do with this beautiful artwork? Because it is. You're right. It's intricately done. It was valuable. Can we put it in a museum? And can we go and, and rightly understand history. It does not have to be standing in front of a courthouse where it still holds that same meaning for so many people. Can we put it in that museum and go and have the true write-up about what happened and who these people were? We can't erase history, as I said before, but we surely can tell the truth about history because that's the only way we will not repeat history. Amen. I want, I want to say uh, right here, seems like the perfect time. And I have to say it all over in New York. Saubona. Saubona. I see you. I see you. I'm sorry. Hmm. I'm I'm sorry that you have to experience that. I don't. Yeah. I think we all have our pains. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we have to sit and lament over what has happened to other people. Um, and you mentioned about the indigenous. I have quite a bit of Cherokee Indian in my family. And so I have to, it's a, it's a double place of lament. And we'll talk about that intersectionality one day um, where you sit in the space of so many othered groups. And um, when I sit there and I look and I have to be mindful that I am respectful of all people groups and even be able to say that there are people who are in white skin that truly love me and they truly love people in general. And that's what we've got to get back to loving the God in us, that image, the Imago Dei that we are created in his image. Thank you for joining us today on Two African Americans. We so appreciate your support as we delve into these sensitive topics. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcast topics, please reach out to us at twoafricanamericans at gmail.com. Have a great day.